This edition of Monocle on Sunday was first broadcast on the 19th of December 2021 at 10am CET. The architect Richard Rogers has died. He was 88. He was one of the world's most successful and influential architects, establishing his reputation with the Pompidou Centre in Paris and the Lloyds of London building. He won a series of awards for his designs as a pioneer of the high-tech architecture movement, distinguished by structures incorporating industrial materials such as glass and steel. A spokesman said he passed away quietly on Saturday evening. A Christmas lockdown has begun in the Netherlands. All but essential shops will close until at least mid-January, as well as bars, restaurants and cinemas. Schools and colleges will also close. The Netherlands is one of a number of countries across Europe introducing tougher restrictions to combat a surge in Omicron coronavirus infections. Germany's banned most travellers from the UK. And here in London, the Mayor Sadiq Khan has declared a major incident as the emergency and health services could struggle to cope. Britain's Brexit minister has resigned. Lord Frost played a leading role in negotiating Britain's departure from the EU. Reports say he was unhappy with the direction of government policy on a range of issues, including coronavirus rules. And animal rights activists have vowed to protest a local London nativity play because the Magi will be riding on a real camel and Mary on a donkey. Hundreds of distressed campaigners have called for Chingford's nativity procession to be banned. Abdul the camel took part in the 45-minute procession from Chingford High Street and down to the station last Christmas, past the likes of Boots the Chemist and the local sandwich bar. And those are the headlines on Monocle 24. It's time to cross live to join our editorial director, Tyler Brule now for Monocle on Sunday. Tyler, a very good morning to you. We're in a bit of a mess here with a major incident declared in London. Could you possibly bring your programme to ride to our rescue, maybe on a camel? Well, we'll, we'll try that. We, we've got uh, a good hour of programming ahead of us, but we have to go back to Abdul the camel. Did anyone ask Abdul how he felt about his sort of 45-minute star appearance? Because well, it's, listen, I mean, Chingford, Boots the Chemist, it sounds kind of good to me. I mean, frankly, it's all we could wish for in this time of year. Um, the the most interesting thing, actually, is, is, is the photograph that, that is in the Chingford Gazette uh, displaying a very chirpy-looking camel, let's be said. But what they've done is they've blurred out the faces of the Magi to protect their identity. We're not entirely <laughs> what Of course they have. But no, what about the donkey? Do we do we know the donkey's name? Pedro. How, how, oh, Pedro, Pedro the yeah, donkey, Pedro. appropriate. <laughs> how is he feeling about, uh, about things? Well, stoic, I would imagine, <laughs> in these kind. But I suspect that Pedro's in his um, in his element this year because he's he's obviously going into busy season, as arguably is, is, is Abdul the camel. But no, Abdul doesn't seem to complain at all. It's just the animal rights activists who seem to be kicking up a fuss. Well, speaking of busy season with animals, I'm I'm very happy to report, as you know, goats have been a bit of a theme, of course, on our program throughout the year. And I just got my adoption papers for two goats that I was given for Christmas. The goats are are living in Stad. I'm going to be able to visit them in spring. Do they have names yet, Tyler? Not yet. They do not have names. Okay. We'll 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 keep all of our listeners in suspense. (laughs) Emma Nelson, we'll talk to you in about 26 minutes. Time Monocle on Sunday starts now.
Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Burleigh. Coming up on today's program here from Dufourstrasse 90 here in Zurich, my guest today, Emily Isahau, and of course, Chandra Kurt is here. Wouldn't be Christmas without Chandra Kurt. But before we get to Chandra, Emily is here with uh, a couple of news stories that might have caught his eye. Where do you want to start? Um, so it's been a busy week when it comes to international diplomacy, loads of meetings between the US and Russia. So I'll be happy to talk about that. But given that it's the season, a few Christmas stories as well. Very good. We'll be chatting to you in a little while. Also, we're going to be heading to Tokyo to hear what's making news there. Hello, I'm Fiona Wilson, Monocle's Tokyo Bureau Chief. I'll be talking about Japan bidding for another Olympics. Goodness, plus the Netherlands may have just gone into lockdown, but that gives everyone plenty of time to read. We'll be joined by Renny van der Kamp from Athenaeum Books in Amsterdam. She'll tell us what people were picking up just before the doors closed. It's the 19th of December 2021, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. And good morning from a uh, rather dull Zurich uh, this morning. The sun came out yesterday. There might be promise of sunshine today. I know I'm getting a bit of sunshine because in about uh, 90 minutes time, I'm going to be on the train. I'm heading to the mountains. and I know it's super, super sunny once we uh, get above 600 uh, meters uh, or so. Chandra Kurt is here this morning. Guten Morgen. Nice to see you. Good morning, Tyler. Very really good to see you. Uh, tell me, uh, we have a cause for celebration because I saw that, uh, of course, and, and listeners, you, you do know that, of course, Chandra is, is the editor of the wine cellar. She is, of course, is our, our, our wine aficionado correspondent, etc. You have a completely relaunched magazine, which is uh, just it. just hitting newsstand. No, Congratulations! Thank you so much. You know, it came out like last last week, and uh, we did a complete redesign. You know, not even a soft redesign. It's a totally new magazine. It became fresher, younger, uh, more modern, and uh, and it, I, I love it. I have to say, I I think it's fantastic. And tell us quickly uh, why 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 the redesign just felt it was. Time for a freshen up spring yeah, every coming. Every seven years, I thought every seven years, let's do a good change. And uh, and I, I have wonderful designers from young young designers in North Italy, and they they saw it and they they fall in love with it, and they thought we can do something out of it, and and I let them freehand, and and they brought me wonderful result. Excellent. Well, it's uh, it's hit hitting newsstands uh, now, which is good news. Emily, also very nice uh, to see uh, you as well as you were just saying uh, in our little menu clip. Uh, a busy week uh, for for diplomacy. We'll talk a little bit about that, but maybe we want. Want to turn our attention northwards uh, to to Finland, uh, head, heading north yourself, or sticking uh, sticking around in Switzerland? It's actually going to be my first Swiss Christmas, so very much looking forward to that. What a Swiss Christmas entails, I think every Swiss you talk to has a different perspective on that. So, uh, do you have sort of a, a bit of a buffet to choose from, like what, what direction you could go? Um, I'm, I'm going a bit uh, northeast towards the Appenzell region. I've been promised a fondue chinois, which I think is a typical Christmas dish. Um, again, depending a bit on the region and the mm-hmm. family. John, do you, you, you have to. something to say about this? I can already tell. <laughs> fondue chinois, I'm not so sure. No, tell it's me. nice that the Swiss have a Chinese fondue. I mean, it's, uh, so maybe it's change for the cheese fondue. No, it's a very typical Swiss Christmas dish. Absolutely. But, but what, what would you vote for, though, if it's Chandra's Christmas? Well, to eat it or not, I, it, you know, it keeps you entertained on the table because because you can play with a lot of things. That's yeah. right. We'll, yeah. Interactive is is, yeah. is always good. Uh, also over uh, in London, our Andrew Tuck is there. Uh, he is he is in London. I heard rumors of um, that he's going to be scampering down to the countryside. I'm not sure if that already happened and he's back. But uh, Andrew, good morning. 
Uh, good morning, Tyler. I don't think anyone here is kind of counting on any plans until they actually happen. So I'm hoping to go to the countryside, but not for a couple of days yet. Well, Andrew, as you said uh, in, in your column uh, yesterday as well, and, and you sort of highlighted this interesting point, which is on one side, you know, you, you talked about sort of the spontaneity, the spontaneity where I think we're just used to think people cancelling, but also the positive side of spontaneity as well. You know, let, let's just go and do it. If we've got the window, let, let's make it happen. Yeah, well, so I, I'm going down with the 10 group, uh, 10 friends. We're, going, we're staying in a, uh, another friend's house down in the countryside. Unfortunately, uh, about a week ago, one person went down with COVID. So the, the way it timed, it was perfect. They were coming out on the 22nd, 23rd. Uh, yesterday, two more people went down with COVID. So they, they won't be making it. So yesterday, everyone just spoke. We were like, yeah, look, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So everybody's got a very kind of weird, relaxed attitude about it. But, you know, I don't know. It's funny. We went out yesterday here in London. There's still, you know, pockets of busyness. It's definitely quieter than a normal Christmas. But it's certainly not like last year when obviously we were all uh, just about to be shut away uh, for the entire Christmas period. I think the mood's pretty good still. It's like lots of things going on, but definitely a, a quieter Christmas than, than before. And everyone being a little bit spontaneous about what they can do. Well, Emma Nelson had a bit of a, a grim newscast uh, for us. Uh, yeah, and, and of course, we've seen uh, the mayor of London. They've, they've declared a, a major incident, which, of course, has, in the past has happened around uh, terrorism incidents. This is obviously a measure uh, where it puts all of the emergency services on a different type of footing, particularly the hospitals um, as well. But and when you talk about the mood and, and a lot has changed uh, since I saw you uh, on. Yeah, well, uh, well I was going to say it was well. It was actually it was Tuesday evening was the event, but I think the last I saw you was early Wednesday morning. Um, but uh, but it, since then, there has been obviously a significant change, not just in the UK, but all over Europe. Yeah, look, you can cut the numbers uh, in many different ways and come up with the kinds of headlines you want, depending w which way your, your, your politics sways. So here in, in the UK this morning, the papers on the right are saying, look, leave it up to people to make their own decisions. Uh, the numbers are not good, but you can see people already amending their behaviour, seeing fewer people, protecting Christmas for themselves. Don't let government get involved in this. And being a little bit cautious about what some of those numbers mean. So some of the headlines say is that we will have two million infections a day by uh, New Year, if, unless we go into some kind of lockdown now. We will have up to 7,000 deaths a day unless we go into some kind of lockdown now. But you just don't see it in the numbers yet. Now, the, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say what will happen in the coming days. This time last year, there were 20,000 people in hospital beds with COVID-related illnesses. This year, there are 7,000. And the numbers, while the, the numbers of cases are ticking up extraordinary, it still doesn't seem to be feeding through to serious illness and, and to deaths. Up a little bit, but hardly at all. So... All the newspapers have managed to find in those numbers something to cling on to. So it's, it, it's something that has definitely changed. But I think what's changed is most people are trying to protect their Christmases and seeing their families. So that's why there are many fewer people out on, out on the streets, But the, the, which we can come to later. But the, the, the government here is so in a corner because you know, we've had Lord Frost, this, this Brexit uh, minister, uh, resigning this week. There's the news coming out yesterday. But you know, he's stepped down partly because of Plan B, this, the, 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 these more modest measures being put into place. So Boris has no manoeuvre on this. And at the moment, he's just frozen in the middle saying, I, I can see what's happening, but I'm not going to do anything else harsher. And also, we saw quite a few stories uh, across the week, a lot of question marks um, around uh, 
Chancellor Rishi Sunak, uh, Rishi Sunak um, yeah, where 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 is he or where was he? Uh, and we saw him return to uh, London, uh, of course, over the past, I guess, what, 36 hours or so or early yesterday morning, maybe. Um, and, and he flew in from from the West Coast. And a lot of that was also going back to maybe what you're talking about. The, there's pockets of busyness, but also there is, you know, there are many uh, parts of cities all across the UK, which are which are empty. And of course, it is the it is the the F&B trade, which is suffering. Is this sort of why he was called into question? Yes, although I thought something that was stupid. It's like, you know, if you're, you're the Guardian newspaper is that there they are saying, you know, missing in action, how, you know, how dare he be you know, in California, a, a moment of crisis like this, Labour MPs all jumping up and down. There's the very same people who a week ago were saying, it makes no matter where, where you work from, you, there's no need to go to an office, you can work from anywhere in the world and do your job perfectly well. But when it comes to the, to the Chancellor, somehow it seems to be impossible, even though he has more probably advisors and more means of being in touch with what's happening in London than anybody else. And again, the concern about the issues around hospitality are that unless unless something official is done, you know, then it's kind of this weird in-between period where they can't claim any money at the moment for furlough. There are, there, there are very few ways of them getting any money back. But in the way, the government is kind of making people nervous because they can't say it, but they've got Chris Whitty, they've got the, the, the health expert saying, cut down on the people you see, protect your Christmas, don't go out. So it's, it's this weird grey area in, in between where, where hospitality is, is losing. We went, we I took a few people for um, a, a dinner on, on Friday. The, the rest, we had, we were at one point the only table in the restaurant and it should have been packed for Christmas. Andrew, just to, let's go back to the, the lead story uh, that uh, Emma started uh, the bulletin with, which of course is the news that uh, Richard Rogers died yesterday. And uh, given, of course, uh, your beat um, also, uh, that uh, we've been reasonably close uh, to to the family uh, as well. Just your impressions, uh, of course, about the man, but uh, certainly about the contribution to to the built environment, not just London, not just Paris, uh, but maybe just uh, yeah, your reflections. And of course, you know, someone who really shaped much of the cityscape that you grew up with. Well, yes, and I, and I think you know, that, uh, of course, you know, the headlines will be about the Pompidou Centre, about the Lloyds Building, uh, about the Millennium Dome, about these the, these iconic projects. But what's fascinating and and great uh, about his career is that you know he was thinking very early on about the built environment. You know, he had some radical ideas. You know, not everybody agreed with all of them about what could happen to London. But in the nineties, certainly, he he began to look at how urbanism and the built environment could change people's quality of life and their and their life expectations almost in a way as well so i think he's he sh- you know i hope in the coming days we get to see him not just as you know a precursor of today's star architects but actually as somebody who was who was a decisive urban planner and who thought about public realm in really complicated and interesting ways it's also the cut through, of course, two two buildings which were, of course, aligned in many ways. That it was it was really sort of the inside that was was on the the outside, uh, and you know when we think about Lloyd's and the Pompidou Centre again, two structures which were quite controversial in their times, but have have also st- you know stood the test of time as proper architectural you know icons. When you think of the architect. Uh, Still, someone in, when we and you use the word star architects. There's, of course, we've been there almost through two decades, where almost every year we're looking to proclaim, you know, so, you know, a, another, you know, star architect from some corner of of the world. But when we look at his contribution, um, does it does it still hold up? 
Definitely, and I, I you know, it's funny. I only because I go running sometimes, and I, when I go running through the city, I often go past the Lloyd's Building, and I and I, and I st- it still turns and catch it. You, you turn and, you, and look at it; it catches your attention. There's something about it as a piece of architecture that's, that really does stand up. I, I, I like the Pompidou Centre. I think what's happened in the in the in the, in the plaza and things around it has, has maybe been a bit more challenged over time. It can feel a little bit scuzzy because of its, its the lack of kind of movement through there sometimes sometimes pedestrian zones don't work that well but I, I think his work definitely does stand up and I think it was also fascinating is when you look back at his career you just see how many for want of a better word collabs he had across his career this mm. is a man who started out working with Norman Foster Tyler another man that you know very well and who you've come to know so he, he starts out with Norman Foster yeah, he, he he works with Renzo Piano. He works with all of these interesting architects across time. So it's 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 interesting also that he he resigned last year from his his company, and his name was going to be taken off of the company next year anyway through the way that it's run. So he'd slowly kind of stepped back from from uh, being a a day to day architect. But I think his legacy had already been protected. And I want to make a, a small um, transition. I've got to, I want to share some some very good news with you. So. I think it was on Friday, uh, you sent some photos because our book of the Nordics landed in in London. Uh, just by virtue of logistics, we got it a couple of days earlier here. We had the our new book of the Nordics out on, on sale. Um, and I'm very happy to report, Andrew, those 50 copies or whatever we received in Zurich all sold out over the past few days. So it was literally, it was the end of the day yesterday. The last display copy uh, had to, uh, yeah, had to uh, get, well, it got wrapped up, even though it, you know, it was already getting a little bit greasy with, with finger marks and maybe some glue vine splashes. So all those copies are gone. Happy about that? I'm very happy about that. <laughs> it's always interesting when the, a new book comes out to see what the response has been. And also to see what our response, I, you know, I, I, it was quite, because it's, it's quite a complicated book to put together because there are many shared things between the Nordics. But as you know, Tyler, know probably better than any of us, there are, you know, many Swedish people see, don't think of themselves as, as very Finnish or many Finnish people don't see themselves as very Icelandic. So you had to kind of point out all the differences and, and all the nuances of being in this Nordic region as well, as well as the, these kind of nice overlaps. And the photography is amazing. It's it kind of... And also uh, funny because it's a place which is you want to catch this winter notion of the Nordics, which will sell a book now. But there's also a summer no- notion of the Nordics. So to get both done well in a, in a single book was also a challenge for the team. Well, it's, it's also good news that we have Emily Isahau here, of course, who is one of our contributing Finns, Andrew. And, and so we're going to get his assessment of the book now. He's flipping through it at the moment. As you said, it's good that his day job is diplomacy um, as, <laughs> as well, because he was already sort of making, you know, a couple of yeah, sideways observations about who got the most real estate. But I, I, mean, like I, have, to, I have to sort of pull, pull you in. We've got Andrew here, uh, of course, uh, the, the, one of the, the gentlemen uh, who was uh, overseeing this book. But first and Impressions as a as a Finn. Um, I have Andrew. I have by the way. I haven't seen him count the number of pages, or he hasn't had his ruler out yet to sort of see who actually has the most real estate photo wise on page. But he'll probably do that when he goes home. Um, so I'm looking at the page numbers as as we speak. No, I I would say maybe two things um, that I <clears throat> just skimming through it um, that uh, drew my attention. One that it's properly Nordic. Um, so 
five countries all covered, but also not just the five capitals, because oftentimes I think uh, there's too much focus on Stockholm, Helsinki, Oslo, Copenhagen, Reykjavik, and we lose out on all the other parts in the Nordic countries. So even if you look at the illustrations, it really is truly Nordic, not just looking at the Nordic capitals. Um, so kudos to that. Um, and, and then secondly, that it's diverse. When you look at just flipping through the pictures, you see the diversity of Nordic people um, in, in today's world. You see the diversity in terms of architecture. So it's just looking at the finished pages, there was a few kind of classic pieces, um, buildings, say from Alvar Aalto, but also um, more modern architecture, so the Audi Library in Helsinki. So diversity also in terms of um, uh, periods and, and, and decades. Um, so loving it, um, and I, I think it makes for a perfect Christmas gift. Andrew, how do you feel about that? That sounds pretty good, no? Should we just print that up and put it on the back page? Emily, Emily says exactly. Um, just uh, while, while we while we have you, uh, should we just go and uh, maybe uh, talk uh, stories? Anything that's caught your your eye, uh, news news wise, other side of the Baltic or or otherwise this morning, Emily? So I would like to come back to a few kind of fun Christmas-related stories from the Nordic countries in a bit, but let me start with a slightly more serious um, story, which is a continuous one that's been um, ongoing for the past few weeks if not months and years, uh, which is the increasing tensions between Russia and, and the West and particularly the United States. So on that front, it's been a rather busy week. Um, Monday, Tuesday, the president of Finland, in fact, had um, phone calls with both Putin and, and Biden. I'll come back to that. He's made an interesting proposal looking at 2025 um, and then the 50th anniversary of the Helsinki final act. But um, let's park that for a moment and then pa- fast forward to Wednesday when the deputy foreign ministers of Russia and, and um, the U.S. met in Moscow, where Russia, uh, in a sense, presented its proposal, a negotiation proposal, uh, when it comes to security guarantees uh, vis-a-vis Ukraine, but also more broadly in Europe to the United States. And essentially two proposals have been at least made public. One is um, vis-a-vis the US, um, that they should not allow Ukraine um, to join NATO, and that the US should not continue arming um, uh, or helping Ukraine militarily. Second, NATO shouldn't expand and it should remove its soldiers from Central and Eastern Europe. Nothing new, um, but it was made a bit more concrete in these proposals. Um, and very uh, interestingly, Russia said they're ready to negotiate, even on Saturday. So yesterday, they flagged Geneva as a potential uh, venue for these talks. Um, so then on Thursday, um, the Deputy um, State Secretary um, of um, the US presented these proposals to the Secretary General of NATO, Stoltenberg, um, in Brussels. Um, and Stoltenberg came out to say that, well, we've taken these um, proposals into account, but of course, we need to also consider the viewpoints and positions of all the 30 NATO member states. And then on Friday, um, and and this is the last uh, bit here, the White House came out to say, um, their spokesperson, that they've also received and considered these proposals, but they will not discuss European security matters without their European allies and partners. And and, and to which uh, Kremlin also um, on Friday said that they would still hope for another video conference between Putin and, and Biden still before the end of the year. So they just had one on December 7th, which didn't go too well, as we all know. Uh, Tensions were high um, and sanctions were being discussed, um, etc. But what I think this points to, interestingly, is that really Russia wants to talk in its own weight category. um, And then it sees these broader security issues not uh, specifically on Ukraine, but more broadly. And then these discussions need to take place at their level. So vis-a-vis the United States um, and, and, and really in their own weight category. And, and this, I think, when we bring it down to Ukraine, 
perhaps one option uh, looking into the future would be to come back to the Normandy format where you've had Germany, Russia, Ukraine and France, but importantly, not the United States. So perhaps looking at 2022, uh, we could see an expanded Normandy format or some other format where the Russians um, can feel that they really on equal par uh, with their counterparts in Washington, D.C. So, Emily, we'll, um, we'll come back to um, also the, let's say, the, the fun Nordic stories in the moment. We're also going to transition to another fun part of the, the program um, right now. Chandra is standing by. This is our, our last proper program um, of the year. So, of course, uh, all of our listeners, of course, all of our uh, contributors uh, around the microphones today will have many questions for you, uh, Chandra, about the season. And before we start, Andrew, um, if you could see this, and, and Emma uh, as well, and also we've got Fiona is going to be joining us uh, for a little a preview moment as well from Tokyo. We've got these interesting bottles around the table. I don't know if they're gifts. I don't know if they're supposed to be consumed now. W- what are these? You know, I have to, I have to be comfortable when I'm somewhere. So bottles are always following me or with me. So I brought you a small, it's a gift. Of course, it's a gift. It's Christmas. Um, it's a sparkling wine from Ticino. So uh, the family Delea does this and they repack the bottle. It looks like a Christmas tree, I think, a, a modern Christmas tree. And um, it is uh, like say bollicina done from Merlot, and it's it's a light sparkling um, wine that can also go for for brunches or early lunches. Something like this. <laughs> okay, and you know what that means? You heard that brunches and early lunches. Uh, <laughs> you know we're, uh, we're 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 an hour ahead of you, uh, so I think the the ice is is coming out very 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 shortly. Let's start in London with with Andrew. You, you you've set of course a, a variety of scenarios. I don't know if you're going with spontaneity, Andrew, but uh, uh, what what are you looking for from from Chandra? in terms of a suggestion yes yeah, so let's go with a bit, a bit of spontaneity so I, I was going to ask about fizz actually so we've got Ticino but here I am in London uh, there's so many sparkling wines these days made here in England as well what, what would be your recommendation for a, a last minute purchase in case we do get stuck at home and, and need to be toasting on our own Perfect. Okay, Chandra's like scribbling away like like crazy. Uh, Emily, we know that you're going to be spending, uh, it's your first Christmas uh, in, in, in Switzerland. Don't know whether, whether you want to stay within the borders uh, with your with your wine and beverage choices or, or otherwise. So this was going to be my question um, to Chandra was my first with Christmas, first fondue chinois, if there's something I would like to bring with me to um, the host family um, to kind of celebrate Christmas. But if you're not too happy with fondue chinois, no, no, I'll offer no. just a plan B quickly, which yep. would be cured salmon. Um, a typical Nordic Christmas dish. So if I, if I get to do it this week, what would you pair it with? Kind of cured, a little bit of dill on the side, um, uh, kind of cured salmon. Let's find something for both. Great. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, Emma Nelson uh, back back in London. Good morning, Chandra. It's lovely morning, to have Emma. you with us. Thank you for being with us. Um, so our Christmas has sadly been split in two because of what's happening here in the UK. So my elderly mum has decided that it's probably not a very good idea to come to London at the moment. So I am going to be going up and spending Christmas with her. My husband, his daughter, our son will be back in London. So what do I drink with my mum all on our own up in Buckinghamshire and what do I leave my husband <laughs> perfect I will find something thank do, you, do you are, are, wait are, is there a train involved is, is there a small bottle for the train as well there are zero trains okay but once but once we're once I'm camped down in Buckinghamshire then I'm not going anywhere for a while so I think we can safely say that we can open a bottle or three Okay, very good. <laughs> Thanks, uh, also, I'm, I'm very happy to say a special preview. Uh, Fiona Wilson uh, is, is joining us later in the program, but she's also here now because she doesn't want to miss out on this. Uh, good afternoon, Fiona. Hi, Tyler. You know me too well. 
I heard the wine chat was coming, so uh, it, yeah, needed to join in. Okay, so uh, what 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 will you be looking for? What do you what do you need to be looking for uh, in in the wonderful food halls of Tokyo? Chandra, I do need your help because my my Christmas has been horribly uh, derailed. I should have been spending Christmas in Edinburgh. Obviously, that's not happening now. So I'm trying to replicate a sort of traditional British Christmas in Tokyo. I've got a turkey, uh, full Christmas lunch. So what would you recommend to go with that? Perfect. Very good. And Fiona, while we have you, I'm just I'm, I'm curious. Is there are there any Japanese uh, elements or, or components to this as well? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it's going to be a bit of a dog's dinner, to be honest. Um, so we've got, got turkey. There might be some sashimi in there as well. So maybe some raw fish at the beginning. Bit of a bit of an appetizer. Not not an obvious combination. But yeah, so um, I don't know if you can even get there's not going to be one wine that will cover both. But yeah, I expect some raw fish will start off. And just before uh, we, we head back to London uh, for the bottom of the hour news, just tell me, um, is there a bit of a Christmas turkey racket in Tokyo, particularly for the expats? Because here in Zurich, you can charge pretty much whatever you like uh, to to get a warm bird onto somebody's uh, doorstep uh, you know, in time for, for Christmas. We certainly saw this during Thanksgiving. Uh, does, does the same thing exist in Tokyo? Oh, 100%. Absolute racket. I mean, you know, every expat I know is sort of a bit sad because they're all expecting to go to their home country. So, you know, plans change, but they do all want a turkey. They don't necessarily want to cook it themselves. And they're not that easy to get hold of here. So few people have solved that problem. I mean, between the turkey and the real tree that I have, I could absolutely have flown to London or Bali or wherever. So <laughs> they better be good, basically. So, yeah, the racket is uh, it's absolutely the, the name of the game. Great. Well, Fiona, we'll be talking to you uh, a little bit later. Uh, just after this, or after the news headlines, we're going to be uh, heading to Amsterdam to talk to uh, René van der Kamp. Uh, hearing uh, from, uh, of course, she's running Athenaeum Bookstore, what is going to be, uh, or what has been flying uh, off the shelves uh, there. And of course, we'll have all of our wine results as well. But first, to London, Emma Nelson's there with the bottom of our headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. The architect Richard Rogers has died. He was 88. He was one of the world's most successful and influential architects, a pioneer of the high-tech architecture movement. A spokesman said he passed away quietly on Saturday evening. A Christmas lockdown has begun in the Netherlands. All but essential shops will close until at least mid-January. Germany has banned most travellers from the UK. And here in London, the Mayor Sadiq Khan has declared a major incident as the emergency and health services could struggle to cope with the latest wave of Covid. Britain's Brexit minister has resigned. Lord Frost played a leading role in negotiating Britain's departure from the EU. And a university arts programme in Japan is attempting to imagine what society is like from a goat's perspective. According to the Japan News, students at the Tokyo University of the Arts will take turns studying two goats and create art from the experience. One student said some believe goats have therapeutic power. By regarding goats as a means to bond with various kinds of people, members plan to study a next-generation community with goats at its centre. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. Thanks, Emma. Who's going to be the mayor? You are. <laughs> Good. Right, <laughs> right, right, right answer. I'm surprised you're not leading the project. I know. <laughs> Tell me. Well, listen, I mean, you know, Japanese, Japanese researchers, goats, what, what more do you need? Just to, if you had to sort of imagine sort of a goat's worldview, though, right. uh, how, how a goat sees the world, sort of any, any starters from you? On a slope, 45 degrees, certainly nothing flat, uh, omnivorous. And pretty athletic and really sort of quite daring doe, I'd imagine. I love a goat because they, I get the impression that they really don't care. 
I don't know about you. So, so quite fun, I'd imagine, and uh, and a lot of sheets to eat. Absolutely. <laughs> and Elsa will be uh, catching up with you before the end of the program. We are it's just gone to 10.30, almost 10.32 uh, here in Zurich. Same time, uh, just if we head a little bit north, up to Amsterdam, because we are checking in with uh, René Vanderkamp from Athenaeum Books, one of our favorite bookstores, not just bookstores, great uh, place to buy magazines as well and newspapers. And uh, of course, as we've heard in the news headlines and listeners, you will have heard all over uh, the world, of course, that um, not quite by surprise, uh, but the Dutch government in the last 24 hours have come down quite hard with uh, what is really, a, a, in, in many ways, a quite a, quite a proper lockdown. So, uh, Rennie, let's just check on you first, uh, your, your impressions uh, about this. We had a bit of a kind of a, a, you know, a suggestion from, uh, from Mr. Rutte's government that uh, this could be heading your way. Were you surprised uh, as, as to how hard this lockdown has come? It's, it's not sort of a middle, there's not much middle ground there. No, absolutely not. It's true. Um, I didn't see anything this fast and this hard, actually. Um, it was, you know, usually we have uh, press conferences every two weeks or so, and now suddenly there was a press conference tonight, they said yes. So, yeah, it was quite unexpected. Um, so you have to uh, act quick, which is what customers did, because, yes, there was like the last day that people would go around shopping. And tell us, what, what, so, what did that mean for, for you, uh, Rene? I, I would imagine very busy hands wrapping books and, and, and otherwise. Did it mean extended hours? Uh, and, and, and I'm also very keen to hear what does that mean for you still? What, is, what should be an important trading week? Uh, you know, of course, this is the last weekend, but uh, of course, there, there still should have been many uh, proper retail days ahead of you as well for, for, for trading. Yeah, that's true. It was like absolutely mad. As busy as yesterday, um, so yeah. For the next couple of days, we're going to see we have sort of pick up service. So we need to sort out, you know, how to organize that and also know what's allowed and what not. But yeah, we're going to miss a couple of really busy days, and uh, our store looked wonderful with Christmas lights and decorations in the shop windows and everything. So that's still on, of course. But yeah, people can't enter. So we'll see what's going to happen. Right. The line is, is is a bit choppy uh, up to, to Amsterdam at the moment. We're going to uh, come back to you. We're going to try to to dial in. Um, but uh, before that, uh, I just want to uh, turn to, to Emily here. Emily, uh, you were talking a little bit uh, earlier. We'll stay in the northern part of uh, Europe because we might get overtaken by all of our wine chat a little bit uh, later. But you said you had some maybe some stories from the Nordic region, which were, uh, yeah, a little bit of the season, maybe. Sure. Yes. Let me start actually uh, with another goat story. Um, so since I'm sure Monaco listeners have been <clears throat> just in, in suspense ever since, I think, on Thursday on the briefing, Marco Sippi talked about the Yavle goat, which is this massive straw goat that's put up every year and it oftentimes gets burnt down um, by just an arsonist or another. Um, so it's not supposed to get, it's not supposed to be burnt. It's no. not supposed to be burnt. It's supposed to stay there until Christmas, I believe a few days after Christmas. But since it's made from straw, it's very easy um, to burn. And that always happens, well, not always, but most years happens. But it hasn't happened for the past for years and up to Friday uh, we thought that it was uh, not going to be burned and, and that's why it was even talked about on the briefing uh, but unfortunately on Friday a 40 year old man was arrested for having lit it up and and, and um, it, it burned down. Um, it, it's kind of a bit of a temptation as you said this has almost become a bit of a tradition in, in a way almost like let's not get caught but let's see if we can torch the goat. Precisely and of course it's made the goat even more famous so actually from a marketing perspective it 
it's probably the best thing that has happened to Yavle, Yavle's goat and and, and Christmas traditions. Okay, um, so so that so that that that's out of the way. Goat goat no no longer with us. Um, so another interesting story. Um, um, Ule, so the Finnish broadcasting company, um, pulled a few interesting Christmas traditions today, and I have to say, even as a Finn, some of them uh, were rather interesting to me and and surprising. So um, maybe two. Um, example. So one was related to Christmas sauna, which is a very big tradition. Of course, you go and you get cleaned and then and, and you get a relaxing time in the sauna before you then have your evening dinner. And so we're talking feast. 20, this is a 24th 24th Christmas Eve tradition. And typically you need to do it during the daylight period because when it gets dark, it's the evil spirits that are in the sauna that you really want to have it be more of a pure um, thing that um, you cleanse yourself. Um, I just but, have to ask a question because I know M and Nelson will ask it later. <laughs> um, with the evil spirits are in the sound, or do you think the evil spirits are in the forest when you're making the dash to jump in the water? Or uh, I think they're in the sound already. Oh, right. okay. um, so under the benches oh, when it's goodness. dark. So right. that's why daylight is is so necessary. So sit, don't make sure you're sitting on a towel. <laughs> exactly, <least>. exactly. <laughs> but apparently, what I did not know is that uh, sound is, of course, a rather quiet place. You usually do share some stories, but particularly on Christmas Eve, traditionally, you're meant to be uh, extremely quiet because the more noise you make, the more mosquitoes you'll have the following summer. Um, so this was a new Finnish Christmas tradition I found out about today. Um, so this was one and another maybe quick... Chandra, you perked up just hearing that. <laughs> I, that it's like you, you're busy doing your wine research, but I don't know, you're, you no, look a little be, it's amazing. bemused no, by that. No, noise attracts mosquitoes? I have no idea if there's a scientific correlation between these two, but uh, I, I will take it seriously from now on. Maybe they cannot sleep or they... they they come back. Yeah, maybe it's like a calling for, a calling for the next summer that exactly. they might come out. But I'm also sort of surprised. I mean, I've never been in a particularly noisy Finnish sauna. I mean, I've never sort of like, you know, been in, a, in an environment where, oh, I'm surrounded by lots of Finns and their chatterboxes. But uh, I don't know, maybe the wrong sauna. I don't know. Or maybe it's just another way to justify or have an excuse for Finnish quietness. So maybe it's a positive spin on that. Uh, but maybe it's just a, a, another um, curiosity um, that I, again, something I did not know about before is um, we of course know Santa Claus comes from Finland, or at least according to the Finns, we um, talk about Korvatunduri, where um, Santa always flies from and visits all families on, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, depending on the, your country. But apparently the Coca-Cola Santa that made uh, the colors of red and white famous uh, for Santa Claus's outfit, um, in 1931 when um, Coca-Cola had their first Christmas campaign that was really Santa-led, um, the designer, um, Haddon Sundblom, apparently is a second-generation American with Finnish um, uh, forefathers. So there's a Finnish connection. Again, this is very much from a Finnish broadcasting perspective. I was going to say, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> trying to co-opt even the more, let's say, commercial uh, Santa. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're also looking for any any sort of licensing right <laughs> as, as a result as well. I'm happy to say we're heading back to Amsterdam uh, now. Randy van der is back, hopefully with a, a more secure line. I can imagine probably the lines are a little bit uh, jumpy at the moment because probably everybody is uh, using as much uh, digital bandwidth as possible uh, to probably shop online. But anyway, uh, well, welcome back. Just before we... Yeah, we, uh, hello. we hello, hello. Just before we lost you, uh, you were just... Uh, well, we, you were saying about the week ahead. So maybe just bring us up to speed now that obviously the lockdown exists uh, in uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, what, uh, what what are your plans as a retailer? Uh, the, the plans, you say? For the, yes, for the exactly. Shop. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we have a, we're gonna do a, like a like a counter for the pickup service, so people can pick up their orders, and we could we, we will do web uh, orders as well because we have a web shop as well. So we'll be all busy working inside the shop, uh, running around, uh, picking up the books and the magazines that people order. 
So yeah, that's going to be our week. Yeah. Yeah. And does this also mean a big re-merchandising of Windows? Because maybe I don't want to go online. What if I was just, if I happen to be in Amsterdam as well, uh, and is there still going to be an ability to, to browse? Or are you going to be doing, and maybe this is also a nice little bit of a segue for our listeners uh, as well. Is there going to be sort of an Athenaeum top 10 fiction, uh, top 10 pictorial books just in the window so uh, you can capture yeah. people on the fly? We have lovely shop windows and they're decorated and they've got all the lovely books and magazines that people can think of to buy, like from, from huge, beautiful fashion books and photography books to, to small gifts for stockings. And yeah, we have lovely windows. So if people are walking around, they have a lovely, it takes ages before you pass our windows. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Just give yeah. us a little bit of, little bit of a hint. Uh, what, was, uh, what was flying off the shelves uh, yesterday and what are, what are your recommendations uh, for our listeners, uh, you know, whether they're in, uh, in the Netherlands or elsewhere? Yeah, well, um, books, you know, um, so many novels are flying off, like, the, you know, the, the Booker Prize winner, the Damon Galgood's Promise, but also Richard Powers, Bewilderment, Sally Rooney. Uh, Deborah Levy, all the books by Gurna, who won this year's Nobel Prize, Nobel Prize. Um, they all sell really well. And also we have a, a recently announced that one of our Dutch writers won the, the, the main Dutch liter- literature prize, Arnold Grunberg. His books are selling really well. Um, and, but then also some very, we've got some very beautiful books from the V&A, which, which uh, came in recently. Beautiful book about silk and also the source book of pattern and ornament. They are Great gift, fantastic books, really beautiful. And then, funnily enough, there's a there's a small book which is not all time sell. It's a, a dictionary of color combinations. It's a Japanese publication. It's a small book, and it has just color combinations from an old um, uh, kimono archive. That's fantastic. And then magazines. I mean, um, Repost, which is from London. I, you probably know that. It's a, it's a magazine for women. It says, but it has really really good research, beautiful photography. This issue is about care which is in the current times a very important issue. So it's about social care, care for the environment, an essay about is care here to stay. Very, very good. Uh, and then Rika, which is from Rika Studios, Ulrika Lundgren's fashion studio. She makes magazines. And this year she made a really special edition, um, a collection of her ideas and beautiful photography and essays, interviews, for instance, with Otessa Moschweg, the uh, author. There's also Current. Uh, which is a, a, a local publication, and it, it has it's very nice because it does young contribute, contributors. So it has photographers, stylists, uh, models, and there's tens and tens of people uh, involved in it. So it's very nice, and it's a very young crowd buying it, very diverse young crowd buying it because they're all involved in the magazine and their friends are involved, and that's really fantastic. Uh, I also love, and it tells well, a magazine, which is every time with another guest editor who's also it's always a fashion designer and this time it's Grace Wales Bonner and she has a really really beautiful edition this year with her with her ideas it's very beyond boundaries of, of anything you can think of race culture identity and, and wonderful photography uh, it's a really really special edition so yeah I mean I could go on for ages I mean there's so much interesting published recently uh, yeah and it's, it's, we're happy that after the lockdown everything came back in so yeah it's, it's really there's a lot to choose from
too much, actually. Yeah. Uh, maybe if if we focus uh, for a moment uh, and just stick with uh, within the uh, the boundaries of of Holland, uh, tell me uh, if we want if we wanted to pick up one great uh, volume on architecture or, or design, magazine or book that uh, that you've seen really chronicling uh, the contemporary uh, architecture and design scene um, in the Netherlands. Um, anything stand out for you, Rennie? Yeah, well, the the architecture magazines are are very specialized most of the time. Um, Frame is good. Frame is very... Domus is the Italian architecture magazine, so they'll definitely do an issue about Georgius uh, soon, I think. Um, uh, Frame is more about interior design and retail design, so it's not really about architecture. Um, and then you've got Volume, which is also very good on, on, on architecture. Um, let me think quickly. Um, well, Monocle does a lot of architecture, which I always like like a lot, uh, and people love to buy Monocle, especially this time of year. Um, which is which is very 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 positive to hear. Though I, I think we could yeah. uh, we could probably be doing a bigger contribution though. Even uh, and I don't have to tempt our architecture and design editor too much to get to uh, to get to the Netherlands. Uh, but uh, very very uh, good uh, to hear that at least there is uh, some way in these times, Renee, that you're able uh, to of course uh, somehow maneuver things uh, around. But uh, wishing at you and your your colleagues uh, at Athenaeum a very very merry Christmas. That's uh, Renee van der Kamp uh, from Athenaeum Books in Amsterdam. It's uh, just coming up to just gone 1045 uh, here in Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday. We're going to go away for a short break. When we come back, we're off to Tokyo. This festive season, give the gift of great journalism with Monocle. Gear up for a smarter 2022. Treat yourself or someone special to a Monocle subscription, plus online access to our exclusive travel guides. Join the club now. All subscribers receive a 10% discount in the Monocle shop. And this year, we have a new limited edition Voyager Tote available with select packages. For a limited time only, as an extra treat, you can choose an additional gift. So what are you waiting for? Head to monocle.com forward slash subscribe now and enter the promo code RADIO22. A present that lasts all year. Stay sharp. Read Monocle. You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. We're live in Zurich. We're also going to be live in Tokyo in a few moments. We are joining our Fiona Wilson uh, there. Of course, we heard from her a little bit uh, earlier about uh, trees, turkeys, uh, and uh, other complexities around the Christmas uh, season uh, in Tokyo. But uh, good afternoon, Fiona. Hello there. Well, listen, bring, bring us up to speed on, on, on all things, because, of course, uh, uh, certainly, out of, well, uh, in, in the early part of uh, the autumn or mid part of the autumn, uh, things are going a bit sideways. Uh, of course, new leadership, as we know, in, uh, in Japan as well. But uh, where do things stand uh, at, at the moment? Because when I've been looking at the Nikkei and, and other news outlets, uh, that it doesn't seem that there's that, that same level of, of panic. We know that Japan, of course, has, uh, has, buck, you know, has really sort of buckled out again, closed its uh, its 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 borders. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's certainly uh, it fortified itself on its frontiers. But what else is happening? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's interesting. You say that about the borders because uh, Fumio Kishida, the new prime minister, said yesterday that those 
rules, which are pretty tough, um, are going to stay in place till the new year, at least. So going into the new year, I think a lot of people felt last year that there was, you know, that's when there was a bit of a spike. Everyone was moving around. So he's probably quite conscious of that. So for people like me, you know, maybe I was hoping to go home at Christmas. The rules now coming back to Japan from the UK are really make it impossible. Very long quarantine in a hotel and at home. So um, I think it's basically penalising people for travelling. So I think most of us are just thinking, right, we just have to uh, stay put and uh, get on with it. But, you know, numbers are very low here. And, you know, actually, he's really I think the public is really supporting this this quite tough stance he's taking, obviously, economically not ideal. But um, I think at the moment, people feel that the numbers are pretty low and, you know, they, they'd like to keep it that way. And, and tell us that mood in Tokyo uh, numbers uh, seem to be well. You know, obviously we know that there are, there are Omicron cases everywhere. Uh, but is there there's still sort of this the same obsession with the the Corona ticker and and maybe what what is it also meant for? The Christmas season, because you know, as you and I always say, you know, I was just thinking it's been two years since I was in Japan for Christmas, and it's just it's such an incredible time of year. It is, it is, you know, it seems that Japan is one of the the last places in the world where Christmas has not been politicized on any on any level. It's just a time of lights, gift wrapping, uh, and of course, uh, you know, much festivity as well. Yeah, and it is. I mean, if you if you saw a motosando. Um, tonight you know motosando which is a sort of i don't know champs elysees of tokyo is big shopping street it's it's absolutely spectacular lights all the way down you'll remember that light display and it really looks stunning and in fact i think because the border's been closed for so long honestly there's a feeling of being in a bubble here so you know i was in pignon a local restaurant you know close to our office um absolutely packed it felt very normal i mean people are masked here all the time that's just become the norm, not in restaurants. But, you know, I think people have sort of adjusted to having a sort of normal life, but, uh, you know, curtailed in a way. But you do feel that, you know, there's there's a good Christmas feeling. And, and it's more about not being able to leave the country. I think that's the difficulty, maybe, and people can't come in. But actually being in Tokyo is great. You know, there's so much going on, incredible weather. You remember those nice, crisp winter days, really sunny. So, okay, you know, enough, it's a enough. great mood. <laughs> Like, I know <laughs> those. I know those big skies in Tokyo, those crisp yeah. days, and uh, and being able to just wander and walk around uh, for forever, uh, and uh, of course, yeah, having sort of almost uh, burnt hands from all of the shopping bags and everything else. Okay, anyway, uh, we we we've got the picture. But if you want to take take us north, this is a bit of a sort of suckers for punishment story that Japan or at least Sapporo wants to uh, to uh, b- well, they want to bid for the Olympic, uh, at least the Winter Olympics. Uh, yeah, not not too far off either. Yeah, I mean, can you believe it? I have to say I'm absolutely gobsmacked that anyone in Japan would dare to mention the Olympics. But I mean, this bid, Sapporo, they they had the Winter Olympics in 1972 very successfully. And if you go to Sapporo and you have, you know, you still have a lot of the old the sort of relics of that that Olympics, you know, amazing ski jump. Um, and it was a very strong uh, Olympics, great graphic design. And they are bidding for 2030. Um, it's not gone down that well in Sapporo, I have to say. And they have just announced that they're slashing the predicted budget by about a fifth, I think, to try and keep people on board. But uh, it's a tough one. I mean, they've tried to sell it by saying we're not building any new venues at all, which I did feel was quite impressive. Um, They're going to split it between Sapporo, Niseko, also in Hokkaido, and and even Nagano, which 
which is in Honshu, but had the Winter Olympics in 1998. So it's a sort of, <laughs> I wouldn't say low budget. There's no such thing as a low budget Olympics, but it's a low construction uh, Olympics. Well, uh, listen, good, good for them. And uh, we know that uh, Japan really didn't get uh, the best run at it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, certainly uh, earlier earlier in the year, it's kind of kind of amazing to even think that it was that it was uh, early earlier in the year. Uh, let's just turn our, uh, our attention to one other story, uh, which, of course, uh, <laughs> involves Miss Japan and, and the Miss Universe uh, contest. Probably many of our our listeners uh, might have missed this story. I mean, I was shocked, first of all, that there is still a Miss Universe pageant. I had no idea. I thought surely it would be this. This is a bit, listen, this, I think it's still a big franchise. and I'm not sure who owns it, but um, I, I think someone's actually still doing reasonably well out of it. Oh, clearly. I mean, when I then looked into it, I mean, there's been a slightly manufactured kerfuffle here in Japan. The the Miss Japan, uh, this pageant, it's, it was held in Israel this year. Um, winner was crowned last week. It wasn't Miss Japan, I have to say. It was uh, Miss India. But uh, there's been a bit of a kerfuffle about the outfit. They have a they have an extraordinary national costume section where people come out in very, very uh, distant relatives of their real national costume. And, and the Japan one was was quite something. I mean, it was it offended. Uh, well, I mean, you know, people who want to be offended, I suppose it was a sort of kimono. But unfortunately, it had been, you know, folded right turned into a left, bikini or turned it. I mean, it was it was cosplay. It was <laughs> cool. Japan. She had she had Japan tattooed on her chest, but, you know, scrawled, not tattooed. I think I think politely you might describe it as a hot mess um and i i think it was meant to be something about celebrating harajuku but in the end you know it was the the flat japanese flag was cut up you had the imperial chrysanthemum on her glittery belt it you know the the, the kimono as i was saying it was folded right over left which is reserved for for corpses actually so i mean you can imagine twitter had an absolute field day um, and it was quite funny but i mean genuinely people here are not they're not really that bothered. I think people think, you know, they, they just they raised eyebrows, but it did make me laugh. It was such a such a sort of extraordinary mess. And it, and, and the, the sort of hilarious footnote was that it was designed by an Israeli designer to celebrate um, se- the 70th anniversary of Israeli Japanese diplomatic relations. So I don't know what, what, what his plan was. I was going to say, yeah, what, 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 do, we, what do we make of that? <laughs> Listen, before we go, uh, we've got uh, Chandra here. Just a reminder, listeners, uh, Fiona, you, you were looking for a, a wine suggestion. I believe it was to go with expensive turkey. Yes, anything, anything that can uh, cheer up our Christmas uh, in Tokyo. And some sashimi also as well. So usually I also have some turkey on, on Christmas Day and, and a different kind of wines to go. Chardonnay, you know, as a grape is always good. A Viognier from Switzerland, you can take a Haida. But because it's Christmas, I think we have to celebrate ourselves. So you go to the origin of the best Burgundies at the Chardonnays, and this is Burgundy. And you take a higher level, like a Puy Nimo Rocher. Um, for example, I will often from the Olivier Le Fleuve. And you drink this and you just um, praise yourself and, and enjoy the moment. And it will fit perfectly. How oh, does that wonderful. Sound That's that uh, straight down to the uh, my very uh, lavish uh, wine department in my uh, near my supermarket. So I'll go there. Excellent. Uh, Fiona, well, listen, uh, have a very Merry Christmas. I'm sure we might be uh, speaking at least uh, not, not around uh, these, these microphones. Uh, Emily, over to you.
So I had the fondue chinois, so something to pair that with, or if we go up north, um, cured salmon, um, again, a pairing for that. So if, if our listeners don't know what is a fondue chinois, but it's Switzerland, so we, you know, you have the fondue with the cheese, you dip something in a pot, and the fondue chinois is you dip some meat in a, in a, in a broth pot, and you have different slices of meat, and uh, the problem here is always the sauces, because after you dip mm. the meat, you put them also in sauces but anyway it's a lot of tastes and um, because it's also Christmas or festive time I will go for bubbles for, for uh, like you have in front of you some, some bollicine and, and Christmas time champagne is the classic one I love very much for example Laurent Perrier or, or you go another big name like Louis Röderer and you will, you will also have a wonderful moment just be careful that it doesn't get warm so because it's, it's the hot pot so you keep the wine rice nice chilled and we should just maybe do a cheers with uh, with this uh, that we have here, this little uh, nice uh, bottle of Ticino. And I'm sorry to make you jealous over in, in London and, 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 and Tokyo as well, but uh, cheers. Zumbul, cheer, Zumbul, cheers, cheers, cheers to yes. that. Okay, uh, Andrew, uh, we, spontaneity, bubbles were also involved as well, I believe. Yes, if, if we get stuck here, what would be a good last minute op- opportunity for me to get, uh, sneak out and buy? So do something uh, local, of course, and uh, some single vineyard, which is which is rare and, and not so so easy to get. But uh, you have this wonderful winery of Chapelstown, and they have all kind of sparkling wine. But they have a new one, a Blanc de Blanc, so a pure Chardonnay, which is Kids Coty. So it's it's from from uh, from a special vineyard, and it will also make you feel a little bit more special that you found one of these rare bottles. And I, I can always do feeling a little bit more special, especially at the moment. So thank, <laughs> thank you very much. And, and thank you for all your recommendations across the year, John. No, very welcome. Very welcome. Okay, Emma. Uh, yeah, this is the, the, the bottles to Buckinghamshire story. This is bottles to Buckinghamshire, please. Yes, uh, a bottle or 20 for my mum and I as we hunker down and hide from the rest of the world. And uh, what do I leave the family back in London who are going to be having the bigger Christmas? Well, the not that I'm is, fed up at all about I think this. this is exactly, I think the bottle is not enough that it will not change your um, <laughs> mood or your state. So I have to give you more. I have to give you a story. I have to give you like um, something to love. Thank you. I don't know if you ever heard of this bizarre sketch that was um, produced in I think in Switzerland called Dinner for One. You can you can go on YouTube and do Dinner for One. It's it's a it, it shows like a, 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 a Miss Sophie and her butler, and it's it's a funny sketch. And and they actually they drink together. And what happens of course with they drink they they change a little bit and they drink the classics like from sherry, champagne, white, and port. And maybe you can <laughs> do with your mother a little bit this whole sketch. And uh, and in, in London, you have this wonderful shop, these Berry Brothers, and yes. they do their own fillings, for example, and they have their own sherry and their own claret and their own. And they are usually, are price-wise, not, not exaggerated, and they're very good. I always order online okay. to have them also at home. So okay, maybe this gives a little bit of cheer. Yeah, I, don't want them, I don't want them to have too nice a wine down <laughs> in London. Just, no, no, I, don't, I am now generous of spirit today. No, Thank you so much. And we shall watch dinner for one. It's the 90th birthday, isn't it? It's a short, it's a short comment. It's about 20 minutes long. It's great fun. Yep. It's great fun. I love it. Thank you, Chandra. And again, thank you so much for all your recommendations all year. You've kept us slightly drunk for 12 months. It's been brilliant. Indeed. <laughs> and, and I think yeah, many countries, I think, claim production uh, uh, for, for Dinner for One. I, I believe it's, it's, it's a it's German, German. It's German production. Yeah. Uh, we don't want uh, the phone lines uh, firing up uh, b- b- before we go. Uh, Emma, uh, have a super Christmas, uh, Andrew. As well. we'll be, and Emma, we'll be hearing from you across the holidays. Uh, of course, listeners will be hearing from us Christmas, Christmas Day. And uh, are we taking a little bit of a break next week? We are. I don't think we're here this week, but in two weeks' time, I think we'll be back behind the microphone. Microphone.
Indeed, uh, Emma Nelson, thanks very much. Also to Chandra, also to Emily uh, as well. And as I said, uh, Andrew Tuck, Fiona Wilson, uh, and Rene Vanderkamp also joined us uh, from Amsterdam a little bit earlier. Our producers today were Emma Nelson and Marcus Hippie, studio managers in Zurich, Desiree Bendley, and in London, Nora Hall. I'm Tyler Relay Monocle on Sunday returns in 2022. Have a very Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.